Hey science fans, I have another fantastic podcast to recommend to you guys. The Waterline Podcast. Everything you need to know about the science of water. Have we managed to develop the most sustainable irrigation techniques? Can water be the bringer of peace? Can flushing your toilet light up your house? The answer to all of these questions and many more in the Waterline Podcast which is an initiative of the Israel New Tech as part of the Israeli Ministry of Economy and Industry. It's a new podcast that, uh, is, that is created to communicate the many facets of water. So please, check out an episode. I've, uh, I've checked out several. I actually went back and listened to the very first episode, which gives you a nice overview of uh, sources of fresh water all around the world, rivers, lakes, underground sources, and to see how, how delicate they are, how prone they are to contamination. This is exceptionally important stuff for our world and our future, and I highly recommend this podcast. Search Waterline Podcast on iTunes or in your Android podcast app. Welcome back, everybody. I apologize for the two-week delay. I'm so sorry. I have not gotten behind on recording episodes. I now have five in the bank. I'll be lining up more guests. We're in good shape. I've just been insanely busy with this uh, tour, and um, I thought I'd take a week off, and then I left my computer in a city because I'm... (laughs) run down and losing my mind and making mistakes. And that explains the second week. I apologize. Um, we are back just in time to have some thoughts about the election. And um, I still don't quite know what to say. Um, I, uh, you know, I enjoy science and um so it's a bit of a bummer that America voted for a science denier. I just had a bit more faith in people than that. But I guess that is uh, the importance of uh, what scientists try to do and what people who try to communicate scientific ideas to people that don't know them are uh, trying to do so. Anyway, um, I, I, I will, everything will resume, um, as normal. In fact, I feel, um, a, a little bit invigorated by it. I think I'm, since the news, I've been working much harder and I feel, um, just a, a bit more validated in that what I'm doing is, is right and important and um you know what maybe i was kicking my feet up a little bit too much and enjoying uh this tour that i worked hard to put myself on and so i uh i'm going to be working a whole lot harder in the future and um thank you guys so much for tuning in um and by the way we discussed this um in the beginning we talk about trump i I uh, would like to make it perfectly clear that although I clearly have biases, this Trump thing is not a Democrat or Republican thing to me in any way. If you look through my Facebook page, 
you can go scroll through as much as you want. If you see me endorse any candidate, uh, I would be shocked. I do not remember ever endorsing any candidate at all. I think uh, much of politics is a sham, and I'm often unsure of what candidate to, and I I don't think it's my place to do that. Um, I also um, never, uh, as far as I know, criticized any other Republican candidate that was running. Um, To the best of my knowledge, I think maybe I made a joke about Ben Carson because he's... uh, neurosurgeon and people seem to think that means neuroscience and he knows what's going on in the brain and motivating people's behaviors uh which is incorrect he does not um but i'm just into science and that's all one comment once um i don't think this is a republican thing i think this is a donald trump thing i think that um i think that the Klan didn't celebrate when reagan and any of the bushes were elected I don't think they would have celebrated if any other Republican would have been elected. I have a hard time believing that this is just about people a little scared about their jobs and their pocketbooks. Um, and um, I'm I'm disheartened by the whole thing. And I'm going to try to um, work harder and also be more open-minded and understand where people are coming from because... Um, I'm, I'm confused right now. I, I just, I just do not get it. Um, but all right. Um, anyway, this, this is a really fun episode. We, we get into the election for, for 10 minutes. You know, this is not a political show and, and then we, um, focus on science. So, um, and enjoy the show. Um, we're back. We're going to be back. Here we are. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Today, I am fortunate enough to have Associate Professor of Psychology at Cleveland State University, Andy Slifkin is joining me. Andy, how are you? I'm good. <laughs> Thanks for making this work. So um, I'm on uh, Insane Tour right now, and and uh, I I put an email blast out a while back to a bunch of past guests. Uh, Jeremy Genovese was a favorite. He's on the show a couple times, and he he recommended you. And I um, I've I've been getting about eighty emails a day and kind of lost track. And then yesterday I was like, oh wait, Jeremy sent somebody. I called you, and then you called me about an hour ago and said he could find time to talk with me quick before I head to Columbus. So I appreciate that. Um, I didn't get a chance to research any of your work, and so we're a little ill-prepared today. Uh, and that that's fine. M- most of the time, I'm having to BS my way through these, no matter what. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> well, it's good to be here. Um, yeah, thanks for coming on. Um, just, yeah, just a little closer with the microphone. And um, so, first off, I'm sorry this is not a political show. I just, I just have to ask, just because the election just happened. It was a couple days ago. Um, I had a very distressing night. I did. I was not prepared for this. I did not see it coming. 
and uh, I'm coping with it, and mm-hmm. uh, and I'm I've been having some past guests and science friends reaching out uh, a, a little a little concerned about what might happen. What are what are what are some of your thoughts? Mm-hmm. Uh, whatever you're comfortable um, yeah. talking about is is fine. Well. I- it's shocking yeah. that um, things went the way that they did. Um, uh, I don't think many people would have predicted this. Um, I'm and, embarrassed that I didn't take it seriously at yeah. all. I didn't think there was a shot, um, shot in the world that this was yeah. going to happen. So apparently there are a huge number of people in the country, almost half of them, who think much differently than the people who I associate with. Right. Um, which uh, makes me feel a little bit like an alien within my own country. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel that a yeah, lot. Yeah. I, could, I, could not, uh, I could not believe it. Um, I, 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 th- I mean, with the, the blatant um, bigotry that he basically ran on, mm-hmm. I thought was something that uh, I just gave people so much credit. And I was just like, well, people, people will see that you can't just talk like that and hate people. Well, why do you think that um, people voted for Trump in such large numbers when it was completely unexpected? I think that... Uh, what's, what's behind it? I, I think that there's a, a couple things. I'll, 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 work, I'll work my way from the, the worst to the, to the best of, of the Trump supporters. Uh, and one, I don't think Hillary Clinton was a good candidate. I wasn't mm-hmm. big pro-Hillary or anything like that. I mean, I, that's always weird nepotism to me whenever there's someone that's like, oh, this, this person is a Bush or this person is a Clinton. So right. let's vote for that always just like makes me very uneasy. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't think she was the best communicator in the world. I mean, if you look at Obama's just so like charismatic mm-hmm. and, and smart and down to earth and like really funny. And she didn't have a lot of those traits, but she's clear. She's articulate. Yeah. And she's smart. Right. She just right. doesn't have the um, charisma. I think that Obama had. Right. So, well, I, I think people are paranoid. Yeah. One, I do think that um, people are absolutely um, racist and bigoted. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that's just the, the fact of it. I think there's a lot more of those people than I uh, ever thought there was. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think that, you know, this is what we talk a lot about on the show is that, um, you know, we've, we've unfortunately we're primates that have evolved these these very touchy kind of outgroup uh, detecting, fearing, aggressive um, mechanisms mm-hmm. and because uh, that used to be something that that was life or death for us, and um, and uh, and I think that the less people know mm-hmm. about that, the um, uh, this is I think one of the major that people think like, well, people have their beliefs and whatever creationist evolution. It's like, does it affect your life? Well, it does because if you don't understand that, you can't be mindful of because I discriminate against people. All everyone discriminates right, right, against people right. and ideas. Right. And and the more mindful you mm-hmm. are that you're doing that, the right. more that you can do to make sure that you're doing that less. Right. You're and, more aware of your your tendency to discriminate. You can step back from it for a moment yeah and then yeah. the people that aren't aware of this are uh, yeah. are just more prejudiced because they're not mindful of it so they tend to just make this error right more often and um and you know they they 
most people that are racist don't think that they're racist. You don't think mm-hmm. most people that are dumb don't think that they're dumb. You don't, it's not a nice, you know, you don't like to think these things about yourself. We've also evolved to have far more confidence in our ideas than their, their worth and in our own opinions. We all tend right. to think we're smarter than we think we are and know more about how the mm-hmm. world works than we mm-hmm. do. I make this error all the time. And, um, I think that after, I'm just going on. I'm sorry. Like I'm just yeah. like a little worked up. <clears throat> no, well, I mean, it's just it just happened, and it's a major event. So it's it's like I care can't. so much. This show is not a political show. I am here to talk about your work. How many uh, how many of your listeners you think um, voted I, for Trump? I hope very few. I do think that there are people that you know are just very concerned about um, yeah. government corruption. Yeah, and um, and. The government is, that's a legitimate concern. Yeah. The government is very corrupt. I uh-huh. think that a lot of people get a little toward the end of the conspiracy theory side of things mm-hmm. that is a, a, getting into some fairly delusional waters. Um, and, um, you know, a, a lot of time, and first impressions are very important. So, so you know, if you liked Trump at first, like, this guy's wacky. He'll say anything. You support him for a while, and then uh, all this, you know, now he's your guy. Now he talks mm-hmm. about grabbing pussies and getting rid of, you know, minorities. Right. I, I can say that now because our that's how our president talks. I guess that's, like, okay that, to yeah, talk about Yeah, I mean, just that one comment assault. you think would be enough to repulse um, the majority of voters what do you but i mean so i i had i had a very rough night that night i i was so optimistic i had this podcast was doing better i'm doing the smartest act that i've ever done and i was hoping now it's about psychedelics and i'm able to kind of use psychedelics as a tool to get people to talk about consciousness and mm-hmm. and, and and i do care I like psychedelics, but it's also just a little bit of a gimmick to be able to talk about these bigger ideas that I, I'd eventually like to do a show like, hey, come here, a comedy show about science, about mm-hmm. the mind. That's what I want to yeah. do. It's just very hard to market. And I'm like, maybe, maybe there is a market for this. You know, people are listening. They're into these higher levels and, and, and I, I was that night, I sold out the show on election night, which I couldn't believe. Uh-huh. And, and the psychedelic community is so smart and thoughtful and such good people. And I guess I've, I've built a little bubble of hope around myself that was, uh, incorrect. And well, but you, you may only need a like little bubble to support your craft. Yeah. You know? I mean, but you I, like to think that the audience is larger and they're more like minded people than, um, is apparently the case from the election, which you wouldn't think it would have been so close. This is, so these were my thoughts like in the moment. I was very discouraged. I woke up the next day. Um, I, I had a flat tire, which was like just the perfect metaphor. And, um, and then I thought to myself, because I was like, it just, I just wanted to give up. And I thought, no, this is actually what I do is way more important than what I realized. And what scientists do is way more important than I realized because people really need this now more than ever. My girlfriend's a social worker. She got a new position that opened up under Obamacare Mm -hmm. to care for elderly people that can't care for themselves. And they voted for Trump. Like all of her clients voted for for Trump. And she's going, she's going to lose her position now um, when they repeal Obamacare. And so they actually, and they'll get less support than, than they had previously and, and people 
people don't can't even understand what's in their own interests. Uh, I think people are worried about the economy. I think people think they know how the economy works, and no one knows how the economy works. Um, mm-hmm. Not the the top economics people can't make a prediction on Wall Street that will pay off with any kind of certainty, and. Um, I don't. I don't know. Um, so I'm frustrated, but I'm. I'm. I'm hopeful that now people are going to get invested. I wasn't invested yeah. enough. Yeah. I just didn't take this whole thing seriously. Right. I made a mistake. I mm-hmm. didn't. I didn't try hard enough. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't get out there. I didn't talk to people enough. And uh, and so that's going to turn uh, around. Yeah, I did like Google last night impeach Trump to see like are people like looking into this possibility given some of the wrongdoings that he's done in the past. And there seems to be a few indicators that people are thinking in that direction. Well, he could maybe go to jail for sexual assault or something. Um, but uh, that's, I think that's wishful thinking at this point. He won and we're just going to have to deal with it for four years. It's not going to be an apocalypse. Um, right. We're going to lose some science funding here and there, but you, you also mentioned that, uh, on on the walkover that, you know, there might be some bright sides here, just like there's bright sides to global warming. (laughs) There's, you know, there's pros and it's overall bad. And then, and then there's little, little bits of, of, uh, where where places actually improve from global warming. Yeah. Yeah, so there's there are like um, agencies which fund um, research geared towards improving the lives of the military. Mm. Um, like the VA supports a lot of research as well as like treating veterans, um, and there's military funding as well. Um, DARPA, the Department of Defense, and hopefully, um, while that's not basic research, uh, there'll be some more funding. Um, moved in that direction. Mm. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, I, I, I'm hopeful that, um, that, you know, some people were just Republicans and they're just like, I'm, I'm Republican. I always vote Republican. Right. Um, I didn't like this monster either. Right. Um, you know, I, that's fine. I get that. That's, I, we can, we can differ on our political leanings. I'm totally fine with that. Uh, I have a, a big problem with this. Um, joke of a reality star being the face of our country but yeah that just blowing off some steam andy let's get into your work thank you for humoring me um (laughs) i have never done that on this podcast before it's okay it's understandable (laughs) everybody else is saying the same thing i know at least half the country is like wondering and thinking the same thing that you're thinking right now so and she got the populist vote so i mean i guess that's like a sign of that things aren't as atrocious as as they can see same here in the moment maybe things will normalize i don't i don't know i don't want them to normalize into a trump world but that's okay um all right let's talk about your work Andy. okay I'm, I'm done i'm done damn it um and any trump supporters listening if you're open-minded enough to listen to this show i appreciate it and so i'm certainly i don't hold anything against you just think you're well, one last super comment wrong. about that we should want to open up a dialogue with people who supported trump to yeah, try to really understand what it is that they're thinking yeah. and it could be that um they have um some concerns yeah, that yeah. maybe people who voted for clinton are unaware of yeah, yeah or not sympathetic enough to there should be some dialogue that's opened up and hopefully that will happen you know with uh, yeah. Trump's presidency. 
Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I mean, right now it's protest, like uh, protests and a lot of anger and everything, and that's fine. I was actually in Pittsburgh um, the night that happened, and the ne- next day there's this huge group of people walking down the street um, with signs that said "love" and just kept on chanting "We support love" over and over again. And I was like, okay, so there's hope. People aren't people aren't giving up. Um, so let's, let's talk about, uh, some of your work you, you do. So I'm, I'm interested in three things, um, that especially caught my eye of, of your work. And then you can tell me a little bit more, but, but you do a lot of work with, um, uh, with, uh, uh, motor control yes. and understanding that. So mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit about, yeah. Um, understanding that I had not a single more than not more than five minutes to look over your work. Right, right. So, motor control is uh, an area of research um, where you're trying to understand how we control our movements, how the brain is evolved in the control of movement, how what cognitive processes are involved in the control of movement, how we interact with the world. So, psychologists are interested in behavior, study of behavior. But relatively little attention within psychology has been given to how it is that the mechanism that produces behavior is controlled. Mm. How are muscles activated to achieve um, some outcome? Do you think and we're that talking that's... about things like control of posture um, to keep you standing to keep you standing upright, mm. um, control of like reaching and grasping, walking. Looking, how, the contr- how we control our eye, eye movements, and how all these different functions are coordinated together. Yeah, you, you would think that would be almost like a good starting point because like this, this is, say you want to build a robot that can do this, this is like step one. And, um, but, but do you think maybe it's just that because we, we just simply aren't conscious of, I, I mean, I can think about my posture, but... Most times I'm not thinking. I'm not thinking about walking each step um, or opening a door. Right. And there is lots of complicated stuff going on. There's lots that of is, complicated stuff going on. Good. And maybe the reason why not a lot of attention within psychology has been given to the control of movement is because a lot of it is automatic and unconscious. Right. Whereas. Um, most psychologists, cognitive psychologists, are interested in much higher level cognitive function, um, which happens at the level of awareness. We're but, very, the two, but the two interact. Right, you know? right. The two, like the mind and the body, um, are connected in ways that might not be obvious to us as we go about our daily lives. I also think all these fancy words and this like language stuff that we have is just like so very impressive and and we like think very much of ourselves for it. And it is, I mean, we're the only species doing it. Um, but, but, uh, or, or at least with this level of sophistication rather. And, and, uh, but, um, but it, it is mind blowing what what our brain is able to achieve right. without our conscious knowledge of it even happening right i mean i i often think about just uh, and this is totally different than well i guess maybe it's not um uh dreams because i imagine some of these same areas are lighting up during dreams right like if mm-hmm. you're walking in a dream mm-hmm. is, is that the case or um, I would think so, yeah. I would think so, that when you're having a dream, it's kind of like you're imagining the yeah. action. And I think we were talking before uh, 
when we were walking over to my office that um, when people imagine an action, the same right. neural circuitry is activated. Um, so imagine when you're dreaming, the same thing is happening. But you're I, not. But but rarely do people actually walk right, when right. they're when they're dreaming about walking. So somehow the output to the um, motor apparatus, the muscles, is inhibited. Yeah, and yeah. maybe in some cases when it's not inhibited, you get people sleepwalking. And the opposite, sleep paralysis. People wake up and that hasn't been turned off yet, the inhibitor. Right. Um, right. I, I mean, I just think dreams are just so telling about how our brain is far more powerful than we can realize because I could I could be in a dream. This could be a dream, right? Like I could be having a, a dream more sophisticated than this right now mm-hmm. with multiple people and, yeah. and not even realize that it's happening, that I'm making it. Like I think it's happening to me. And the brain's literally doing this in its sleep. Like you wake right. up well rested. Right. You you didn't right. you didn't burn a bunch of right. glucose and whatnot having to. It's as if down. the brain has a mind of its own. <laughs> yes. Right. Exactly. So um, uh, let's go back to uh, mm-hmm. imagining. Yeah. Um, movements and talk a little bit about that work. Okay. Um, well, so there's been work that has looked at. Uh, imagining movement versus actually producing movement. And maybe this work has been going on for about 25, 30 years when it it first started. And uh, this work had shown that uh, when you imagine an action, usually simple actions, they take the same amount of time to imagine as to actually execute. So it's suggesting that in order for that equivalence between actual and imagined movement times to take place, that you must have an accurate internal representation for the action. So uh, you just simply run that uh, representation, that motor program, um, when you're imagining the action. Two are identical. The information processes are identical when you imagine and actually act. Mm. And what some of my work has shown um, is that that's true, that's true, but when you make a task uh, unusual, uh, that's when you get a difference between imagined and actual movement times. Mm. So uh, the more, let's say, heavily weighted a limb is, in, 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 this, in the case of this one study that I've done, we bloated people's index fingers with weights and had them, had, had them move the, their finger back and forth between targets several times and time the action or the imagined action, as the weight got closer and closer to the maximum that people could move, um, the imagined times became longer and longer how, compared to the actual actions. How are you measuring imagined times? We ask people, we, we, um, uh, people hold like a mouse in their uh, hand, and when they begin imagining, they, they click the mouse button, and uh, when they're stopped, when, they, when they're finished matching the sequence, they click it again. Hmm. And they do the same thing when they actually move. So you're hmm. kind of trusting people. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I can close my eyes and imagine myself doing yeah. something yeah. until yeah. you it's So there have been various studies which have like validated that methodology. Well, I mean, eventually you'd be able to maybe determine some of that with like MRIs and stuff too, right? Yes. To get, right. Um, and there's been a lot of work on that as well and show that approximately the same neural networks are activated when you actually 
produce an action and when you imagine the action. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I feel like uh, I've seen some of those simula- I feel like it's almost like simulations and kind of like a yeah. dream. Like I, I've seen them before in like moments of crisis, especially like where it really needs to like pop out fast, like a near missed car accident or uh, or um, an, an an injury or something like that, where I'll kind of see the simulation of of right. where I need to go. Right, right. From here, and it's like really clear. It's really it's, clear. It's much clearer than just I can. I can close my eyes right now and imagine myself walking down the street, and right. it, it's okay, but it's not. It's not very clear. It's like almost like a dream-like right. clarity. It feels like when you imagine something most of the time, that feels like only a very fuzzy representation mm-hmm. of the actual. What it feels like to actually produce the action, but apparently, it. There's much closer similarity than you would think between the imagined and the actual information processes. Mm. So I should also mention that we're engaged in this kind of simulation of potential outcomes in the world, even when they're not conscious or explicit. Yes, yes, yes. That's that's the next thing I wanted to ask. So so we have to make choices about how we're going to act in the world. Mm-hmm. And one hypothesis is that you run multiple like simulations of different possible ways in which to complete the action, and you choose the one which is going to be least costly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and I and take, I, I know that there's like some people say that think that that's maybe not the case, and and maybe that takes way too much power for the brain to do or something. But uh, yeah. I've, I've I've read. I mean, it becomes like explicit. You're thinking about you're in a new environment. Um, maybe you're visiting a new city. And you're thinking about should I go this way or that way to get to my destination. Yeah. Then it's kind of conscious, right? Mm-hmm. But um, for many other actions, you're kind of making that. You're setting up the options. You run through the simulation of the costs of the different option. You pick the one which is least costly. I I believe very strongly that there is worlds of simulations happening, like constantly in our heads, all all of the time. And it has to do with prediction. You're trying to predict the right. future. And you want to p- predict the future, which is, is which is going to give you the least costly, most beneficial outcome. And this is very important, right? That we become we are most efficient mm-hmm. in terms I, of evolution. I think it's even more. I think the brain's doing even more than that. I think we're also running simulations of of the past, like with things that just happened, and and going back and kind of evaluating certain points of sal- moments of salience sort of, or, or when a decision was made and then even creating new projections forward going, had I done this other choice, where would I, and it's branching out. There's many of them happening all, right. all at the same time. Right. Um, especially when people are like, well, your, your life flashes before your eyes. Well, I don't think it's this fun little nostalgic trip down memory lane i think your brain is going like do we have anything for this let's just search back as as far as we can did we did we ever see anything that can get us out of this largely thinking is simulation it's it's imagery and although like i'm interested in studying um motor imagery we're really talking i think about creativity Mm. so the ability to like predict into the future to simulate into the future seems to be at the root of creativity I think 
Mm-hmm. What do you think about that idea? I've never thought of that yeah. idea before. Um, so in order to be creative, you've got to be able to project into the future and run different simulations and weigh them against each other. Yeah. And that extends beyond just the simple actions that I'm interested in studying. So if you think about like maybe coming up with like a, a set for your for your show. Right. I you, do. I visualize myself. And sometimes I even like I, when I started, I used to like practice in front of the mirror and stuff. I don't do that so much anymore, but I'll be driving and I can all imagine myself on stage. I anticipate the reaction of an audience to a certain bit of timing. Right. And, um, and I'm pretty good at predicting that and, and running they're usually because we've evolved with too much confidence and we are these hopelessly optimistic creatures. We, uh, uh, a lot of those predictions are, are, it's not the standing ovation mm-hmm. <laughs> my, my daydream was hoping for, right. but you know, it does get right. the, it does get the positive reaction where I thought it was going to get the reaction. But do you think that then that, so, my first inclination is to say, yes, you're right. But to test that, wouldn't, would it involve figuring out if people that were more creative were better at making predictions in some way? And would there possibly be a correlation? Um, is there anyone studying anything like that? Um, not that I'm aware of. I just like to think that like, what I'm doing has some greater purpose it's related to something like creativity and 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 it has more sort of far-reaching implications but that's an interesting idea i think um you might think that um uh people who are more creative are better at um projecting into the future they have a longer like window of projection right right they're not they're not just dealing with the immediate uh, present, they yeah, can sort of project into the future and think of like um, different possibilities. They're more imaginative, more imaginative, yeah. Imagination, so of course yeah. you can, and, so I think and I, more I think outcomes, different outcomes, different outcomes. Out, outcomes that outcomes that maybe haven't even happened. So most right. people would never even think to imagine them. Right, I think that's the way we think of most creative people. Mm. They or visionaries. Um, they're able uh, to, yeah, yeah, they're able, it. they're able to sort of like look into the future and see different possibilities and possibly mm. even realize them, right? That is interesting. But that's a good question, I think. Are people who are um, have more accurate motor imagery, uh, are they also people who are more creative and uh, are better able to make? predictions in the long run i would say yes i would guess i would put my money on on yes yeah i yeah. guess so would i because i wonder how you because again seem like it'd be the, that hard the idea test. is is that if when you imagine something mm-hmm. if the time it takes for you to imagine the action is the same as the time it takes you to actually execute the task and the same neural processes are activated or approximately the same neural processes are activated then in imagination, you're accurately able to predict the future. Man, I see. The, the sh- it's a, it, I'm, I have psychic powers. So, <laughs> so you're, you're able to like, not just the comedian, You're able to accurately predict the future. Although, like, <laughs> that's not true. I just missed Trump. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. We all. Uh, every, every artist in the world missed Trump. Yeah. <laughs> we were all very outspoken. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's not your job. Yeah, yeah. That's the job of the pollsters. Right. They screwed up. Um, I gotta stop talking about Trump. So here, I, I, I used to be very reluctant to ever bring this up to uh, any scientists when when I was. Uh, interviewing them but i do a show about psychedelics so whatever i guess i'm out of the closet i smoke a fair amount of uh dmt uh like once a month or so anyway Mm -hmm. which is a fair amount if you ask me and um i've seen simulations um smoke like clear as day i've seen dream states i've seen different worlds of different kinds of simulations i've seen um i've seen like this starting point where um where it's me here in this space and then a projection going both forward and backward. Like we just discussed, this is kind of like how, why I've spent so much time thinking about these ideas. Um, I'm happy we're having this conversation right now, actually. And, um, and there, so when it, when it gets out far enough in the mind, um, what happens is it starts getting foggier. There's there's limitations to how right, much computation right. can happen, mm-hmm. and the um, I th- for a while when I first started, it seemed like I was like in this loop, and every life kept on happening again and again, and and like. I, I didn't like consciously think that when I was out of it, but that was like the perception of it when mm-hmm. I was in there because I'd see, mm-hmm. I'd see like not only simulate back to when you're born but but wait much further and uh, historical events and stuff like that and then and stuff in the future as well but but then i what i realized how i kind of got my sanity back a little bit i mean i wasn't i I hadn't gone insane i didn't think what i was seeing was real but it was just a little unsettling i realized that the fogginess creates like a horizon within the simulation Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. and it creates this bending that makes it look like a loop and then at the end they don't actually meet it's just um that we've conditioned this object permanence in our head and then your brain just kind of fills it in and makes it look like it's connecting right and and so it looks like these simulations are kind of happening again and again and i my my thinking is maybe this is how people come up with ideas like reincarnation or or whatever in the first place they're just kind of getting into these right right levels of the brain that other people aren't aren't quite perceiving I, I mean, there are gaps in our knowledge and right. we try to fill them in and um, maybe like science is helping to fill in those gaps. Yeah. So we don't have to kind of conjure them up ourselves. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> very much yeah. so. The brain is very good, I think, at like filling in gaps where information is missing. Blind spots. Blind spots, exactly. Right. So there are these small like tremors in the eye um, that keep the eye moving so you never see the blind spot hmm so um so you, you could see i mean like if there's certain right. like simulations you can do to like so where you can see your blind spot right right, right, right. but we don't generally notice it the brain will fill in right yeah, yeah. yeah. um and the eye yeah. the eyes move uh, jump around very rapidly and during those uh, jumps of the eye, saccades, um, there's no visual input. There's no conscious visual input, but the brain kind of perceives the world as a continuous whole. It's also amazing that your whole perception can change in a half second once you get the 
correct information when you miss see something mm-hmm. like the comic last night was telling a joke about um thinking he saw a horse in someone's front yard and it turned up out to be a tent or something like that but just that's the idea like you think you're seeing a horse in your perception that's what it looks like right and then you just turn or get just a different look and you realize what it actually is and just like that and a split second you know it's the whole your whole visual perception has changed Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. not all of it but at least you know these aspects of it right um it's amazing so so you now I'm, I should have wrote this down because I there's there's three I know mindfulness was one of them at the end but the second one that I was really interested in was oh, what's ah, shoot sorry uh, I'm just out of sorts today what's the other uh, what's the other thing we we're talking about on the way over that's an aspect of your work um, what else do you do what else are you interested in and when you hit on it I'll be like that's the one well I mean I, I think I like wrote. Um, Wrote you a while ago. What else am I interested? I'm interested. More recent interest is mindfulness. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, I think that I, think I, that I can was come it. up with some things. Oh, oh, oh! The embodiment of cognition. Oh, right, right. I right. wanted so to, we're kind of talking about that a little bit when we're talking about yeah, like what, motor what imagery. And, what do you mean by embodiment of cognition? Uh, you know, that means that um, cognitive processes occur within a body. Mm-hmm. And the body has knowledge, the, the mind rather has knowledge of the constraints or abilities of the body to act. Um, so, um, for example, um, one example would be I don't know, you, for example, go to the refrigerator and there's a carton of milk in there and it's full. And so you drink from it, okay? You put it down, and then an hour later you go and you drink from it again. You know how much force or, and how to grasp the carton of milk each time with the right force because you're, you're keeping tr- your mind is keeping track of the change in the weight of the uh, uh, carton. You, 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 you grab the wrong beer at a bar right. and you know you're, it right away. Right. So, uh, you're, yeah. so you're, you're, your mind is kind of taking it, <laughs> is keeping track of um, the, the physical characteristics of the objects you're interacting with and also keeping track of the characteristics of your own body. That's amazing. So, I've again, never thought this, about this that. This is linked to motor imagery as well. Why? What is the importance exactly of... I, I, I mean, I know... I, I think what's throwing me off is that example is just so specific because why, why keep a memory of a tally of something? It, it seems like... That's a lot. If your if your brain's keeping a tally of something like that, it must be tallying all sorts of tallying things. Tallying all sorts of things. Yeah, right. How is it deciding it has, it what's has, worth holding on to? How does it decide what's worth holding on to? Um, like what inv- information is relevant? What information yeah. is relevant? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's it's a, whatever is probably whatever is important. Um, Within the environment that you're operating in, I, I mean, so at some point, take, that, at some point, that information is going to fade um, when it's no longer relevant to you. And we certainly take glasses of water um, for granted right. these days compared to our ancestral past. For for that 
one very specific example in particular. Do you have any, any other examples like that? Any other examples like that? that. I mean, I think that probably as we um, age or as our like bodies change, um, we have to keep track of the change in our capacity to act. Hmm. So that when we're about to, I don't know, like if you gain a lot of weight, for example, your plans for action are going to take account of that. Right. They're going to affect the way that you move in the environment so you can move around uh, safely. Hmm. Imagine that like somebody who is um, pregnant, um, they have to have an accurate image of their body in order to sort of navigate the world uh, given the change in the state of their bodies, right? It's going to be, mm-hmm. they're going to have to navigate through doorways differently than they did when they were not pregnant. So that, I think this is an example of embodied cognition, that your cognitive processes have to take account of um, the physical characteristics of your body and how the physical characteristics change and also the physical characteristics of objects that you're interacting with. Another example of embodied cognition is that um, like words, verbs, for example, the word like kick, mm-hmm. for example, um, uh, uh, if you show somebody a word like an kick and their brain is being scanned, the same areas of the brain involved in actually kicking are going to be activated. Mm. So knowledge, you know, symbolic knowledge, um, language is, seems to be closely connected to motor representations. Yeah, I mean, I had a little flash in my head of, of, of someone kicking while you, hmm. Well, uh, you don't even necessarily have to be kind of conscious about it. Right. It's just that when action verbs are linked to the execution of the action in the brain. Hmm. Um, I, so, I'm, so language, a very highly developed cognitive capacity, is intimately, I think it's okay to say intimately connected with um, the motor circuitry associated with producing that actual action. Yeah, well, I mean, our, our words most likely, um, I mean, this motor control stuff was a lot of our origins in the first place are a lot of our words have these kind of very physical kind of metaphor um uh she's hot uh, this person's deep you know i'm feeling high right now why why would high be a good or or bad or you know feeling down why would down down's not even necessarily a thing other than based on i mean in the world of the universe anyway like you can point in any direction you're pointing down from some context but based on our kind of egocentric bodies we kind of have like up seems to be good and high seems to be good because they're mm-hmm. kind of fighting against this right. gravity stuff right. you know trying to overcome it and so i think that was had a big influence in the origin of language so yeah that's uh i just never thought about the back end of it yeah um, i'm trying much. to think of other examples of embodied cognition um well, I mm-hmm. I was thinking about all the ways that might be influenced. I was just thinking about performing on stage. You know, every every stage is a, a little bit different, and I kind of have my, you know, my th- this this show is pretty much I 
I know what I'm going to be saying for the next mm-hmm. hour and 45 minutes or whatever it is. And, um, and I have a good idea of when I say this joke, I move my hand then. But as you're talking, I was like, well, I wonder if how that feedback loop works. If I like happen to move my hand in a certain way one night that happens and that joke happens to get a better laugh that night. Maybe it had nothing to do with my hand at all. Maybe I delivered it, but but maybe that's staying in there in a way and, and being like mm-hmm. integrating into muscle memory, like mm-hmm. do this with your hand right at that moment. Right. And I don't know if that's an yeah, example. That might be more like a conditioned association. Right. Like, right. Uh, yeah. More of a muscle memory kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So you were talking about when, um, uh, how athletes, uh, on the way over, we were talking about how athletes, um, uh, a lot of coaches will train them. I remember hearing yeah. about this from Michael Phelps. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think was in, I don't know what, some interview or something. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, he was interviewed recently on Charlie Rose mm. with uh, the the coach of Duke. Mm. And at the end of this, Charlie, do you know Charlie Rose? Yep. He, okay. He's a, he's a uh, interviewer on public um, television. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, so this apparently is like part of the routine of um, most coaches. They have their athletes like imagine, and um, apparently, according to the uh, coach of the Duke basketball team and Michael Phelps, this is a key like component of their training that is imagining. They call it visualization, but I think it's really motor imagery that they're engaged in. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I visualize myself performing all of the time, and then I have trouble doing tasks like if I'm say going to pitch a TV show or something like that. If I if I can't p- visualize what that ultimate product would look like, I have a hard time articulating what it is that I would want or how it would uh, work. So yeah, I use visualization all the time. So is it just? So when I used to perform in front of a mirror, I would feel like um, if I went out on stage and just no matter what the conditions, no matter what the audience was like, if I just delivered exactly like I would in front of the mirror, that would be the best response. My time, That would be the optimal timing right. and um, enunciations and that sort of thing. Yeah, you're, you're practicing. Right. You're, you're basically practicing. Hmm. Um, which is probably reinforced by actually doing it. I feel like this is the importance of daydreaming and stuff. I, I feel I feel like daydreaming is so important for our lives, and I I, I got in so much trouble when yeah. I was a kid for daydreaming all of the time. If if I had been a few years born, a few years later, I would have been on all sorts of medication for it, and the. My daydreaming is one of my favorite things about how my brain right. works. It makes yeah. me who I am. Um, and yeah, I, I don't, there, there's this, um, it seems like there's this weird kind of idea um, that's like hard work is just like, unless you're physically just like hitting this button yeah. and pulling this lever and doing it as yeah. fast as you can, like you're you're not working hard enough. <laughs> right, right. Well that that's kind of related to this issue of mindfulness that I've become interested in. Um so yeah, I I kind of tend to the 
you know, I kind of tend to be like a daydreamy sort of a person. Mm. Um, but for the most part, um, yeah, it does seem like we have to be like on task right. in order to be considered like productive and valuable. Um, I guess to achieve things effectively, we do have to kind of like not daydream and um, accomplish things. Right. Complete goals. Right. And that requires like turning your attention towards your actions on a moment to moment basis. In the external yeah. environment. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. To really, and, and, and uh, that does seem to benefit people when you're able to not just like do things like as hard as you can, but rather to do things in a way where you're sort of closely attending to your behavior and your actions. Mm. You're in the present moment. Becoming more in the mindful. present moment. How so there's a balance here, I suppose, between being like too imaginative. Right, and, right, um, right. There's a limit to like. I don't have the best attention span in the whole world. That can that's a downside of it. And, yeah, and that maybe that that sort of lends oneself towards daydreaming if you're unable to attend closely on a moment-to-moment basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of like computer work that I have to do and writing that I have to do, and I have to be out and focused. And I'm, and um, I mean, if I'm if I'm writing creatively, uh, creatively, I can daydream a bit more and have to. But if I can focus and you know get stuff done and work on my marketing and send out emails or whatever, but when I have problems that need to be addressed um the only time those solutions come to me is when i'm in the shower or right. washing dishes yeah. or yeah. driving in my car and my non-conscious i have a bad joke idea forget about it, it goes away a month later it just pops up into my head and it's now a great idea out of right. nowhere, right? Uh, and I, I hadn't thought about it once, as far as I know, consciously, right? Which means I, that idea must have taken shape somehow yeah. in my non-conscious, and there must have been some sort of simulations right. that it was being run through, right, and being altered and evolving, right, and and then popped out just like ready to go, right, right. Um, so, so it doesn't make sense to like it may not be productive to think too hard, right, about some. Pr- Problems. You need to give the problem some time to breathe. What do you think about the Pomodoro technique? Oh, yeah. That's. I'm glad you asked about that because um, I've just I've had some interest in um, like seven habits of highly effective people. Like Stephen Covey, yeah, I was yeah. interested in. Um, yeah, I, I remember becoming, I read that book when I was a factory worker, and it actually did enough while I was reading it to yeah. inspire me because I wanted to be a comedian. Yeah. I was just too scared to make the jump to be like, oh, I'm gonna. But I don't remember. I couldn't tell you what the seven habits are or anything like that. Yeah, um, yeah, they're, it's all sensible. It's just a matter of like kind of implementing them in in like a systematic way which is really difficult so like all these like self-help books on time management uh they sound good when you're reading them but you have to actually like implement them um hopefully some of those principles will kind of seep in and kind of just affect your natural way of operating even if you don't you know implement each one on a regular scheduled basis but i don't know about the pomodoro technique um 
Uh, I mean, I downloaded the um, PDF on it, mm-hmm. and it sounds very sensible. So I'll tell you what I think I remember from it. You tell me if I'm correct. It's where you like work hard. Maybe hard is the wrong word. You, you dedicate like, your attention. Dedicate your attention. You're sort of dedicating it in sort of a focused, mindful way for... How many, 20 minutes? 20 period? to 30 minutes. 20? Everyone's different. You kind of just have to learn through yeah. experience what works for you. Some people can do 40 minutes. You know, that's just the norm is 20 to 30 Okay, minutes. and you have like a timer. Yeah. Which looks like a tomato. So um, I'll set it for like 20 minutes you do this? To, okay. to write. And yeah. then when that 20 minutes goes off, I'll allow myself five to 10 more minutes if I'm like really in a groove and really going. And then and then I force myself to take a break but the key is like taking those breaks yeah periods of like focused attention on the task and then a a break where you kind of defocus Mm -hmm. so you give yourself like room for um uh you know to refresh your mind yeah yeah and then you come back to the task in five minutes yeah yeah um that's just i'll just close my eyes or clean up a little bit or, or like organize something or just kind of do some nonsense task. Maybe, maybe, uh, check my Facebook or something like that. And then, I, right. and then you go back to the test. I mean, really one of the main benefits, I don't know how much it's help. Like it's the idea of this interaction, uh, and, and giving more power to the non-conscious mind to kind of right. help work through right. some of these things. But it's also 20 to 30 minutes is not a, um, it is seems like a very easy thing to do, so it's okay. easy to motivate yourself to work for twenty to thirty right. minutes. Yeah, and in, in like a uh, this class that I'm teaching, um, sensory motor processes in adulthood, we recently read a paper uh, on sleep and um, motor learning. So sleep will help people learn. Mm. I mean, I think that's been a fairly hot topic recently. It's kind of intuitive, isn't it? That you need I to get some sleep. So, but like but, my parents were uh, were just the or still are the kind of people like yeah. I'll sleep when I'm dead kind yeah. of thing. I mean, I haven't been sleeping much since this tour started. I mean, I've been getting enough yeah. sleep most days, but then some days I don't get enough sleep, and uh, I make all sorts of mistakes. I make tons of mistakes. I left my computer somewhere for right. days recently, or I had to have it mailed back out to me, and just like. I've never done that before. Just, you know, just dumb, inattentive kind of things. Right. And not thinking right. Right. So the same thing applies just with the Pomodoro technique. You take breaks and it helps you maybe consolidate what you've just done as well as refreshing your mind. Maybe sleep is doing the same thing. Mm. Yeah, I imagine it has to be. Um, So... Um, I need to get you out of here pretty soon. It's three fifty. I mean, I yeah. Don't know if you wanna, I, mean, I, I have to pack up my stuff. It's totally up to you. Well, we you can, can you can take your time packing up, and uh, if we go five minutes over, it's it's okay. Well, let's talk for a few more yeah, minutes. I'm sure. Fun. Um. So so what would how would you? Because I actually don't know how I would describe this to someone. Um. When when someone says, um. What what is this mindfulness stuff like? How how would you describe it? What's it about? Well, it, it's mainly um, uh, attention to the present moment. Mm. Um, so it's attending to the here and now. Um, uh, 
my my student who's not on mic is an expert in this area. She owns a yoga studio, um, and she's actually doing a thesis on mindfulness and movement. Too bad she's too scared yeah. to talk into a microphone. Okay, maybe we'll, we'll let her jump in. Yeah, jump in. Um, but let me just. I'm a nice person. I'll, I'll, I'll just uh, describe. So scared of me. I'll just give like a little like summary of her thesis, and then she can expand on it. Again, yeah, it's her. Great. It's her. I'm sorry, what's your name? Tatiana. Tatiana. Um, so she's looking at like mindfulness. She's going to have people, she's going to induce a mindful state through a brief meditation and then have them perform like a fairly simple motor task, Mm. um, to see whether or not that changes the way in which they're they're controlling their movement. That, that'll, that'll be like her thesis. Mm. Um, and uh, let me turn the mic over to yeah, Tatiana, yeah. and uh, she can maybe make a few more comments here. Um, again, she owns a, a yoga studio, um, and uh, she's also a licensed medical, uh, m- m- licensed massage therapist. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you for endorsement, Dr. Swifting. <laughs> um, so, yeah, mindfulness. So, mindfulness is... Um, actually a term that is not agreed on by many practitioners right. uh, and its main preface, not only in science, but also in yoga studios and meditation centers and meditation circles, people um, come to it from a different path, Buddhist, yogic, Vedic, even um, some religions use kind of mindful states or mindful practices as part of their, um, I don't know, structured uh practice a devotion. So, but mindfulness has been practiced forever. And right now we're defining it as closely as possible as three kind of aspect uh, phenomenon. First is uh, attentional. It's, it has a attentional focus, right? Mm-hmm. It has to do with how you pay attention, but it's uh, attention to the present here and now. However, um, your attention is somewhat suspended. You're not glued to one thing. You're mm-hmm. expanding the horizon. You're expanding your boundaries. Mm-hmm. So uh, some practices uh, teach you to pay attention to everything at the same time. That would be a mindful practice. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people who don't have a, maybe haven't invested enough time in practicing it, get confused. It's You kind of get lost in attending to everything at the same time. Mm-hmm. Attending to your breath, to the way your fingertips feel, to the way your toes feel, to the way your hair feels, to the way you hear sound outside of the window. So it could be difficult. Uh, second part uh, of mindfulness is... Uh, non-elaborative um, and non-judgmental approach to whatever you're attending to. So you're basically schooling yourself on accepting things. Mm. So attention and acceptance would be main parts of mindfulness. A thought pops into your head. You don't like latch onto it. Right. You don't push it right. away right. as hard as you right. can. You, you just, don't even try to understand to qualify it. You just you, observe you, it. Right. You just observe it. It's, which is difficult to do. It is. It is. And um, those are basically main things. I think I'm blanking on a third one. Um, doesn't sound important. <laughs> probably not. It probably is important, but maybe we're not as mindful of that right now. Um, that's okay. So, yeah, that's mindfulness. It's not easy to achieve, and but it's trainable. So, any... Uh, there, 
as a result of discourse in psychological literature about mindfulness, not only in a motor control uh, field, but in a cognitive and in a field of um, mood treatments and interventions with the mood, uh, mood disorders like anxiety and depression, uh, there is quite a bit of discourse about mindfulness. However, Everyone agrees so far, all literature kind of converges on ideas that mindfulness could, that could be taught. It mm. could be learned. We don't know if we're born with mindfulness, if some people could be more mindful by birth and some people might not be. We don't know that. However, it could be trained and it could be learned. And people who train themselves in mindfulness and learn are seen to get more benefits out of their life mm. and more control of whatever function you might be looking at. And not everybody, but the majority the of majority, people. The majority. The majority. Overwhelming majority, yes. Right. Um, I, I'm a, a little curious about this. Uh, so it's about, um, it's about attentiveness. And attentiveness seems, well, I guess it's like more of an effortless attentiveness because attentiveness seems like it takes... Um, more energy for the brain to accomplish. And I often, when I meditate, feel so alert afterwards and well-rested. Like I can meditate for 10 minutes and that's sometimes better than having taken a nap. Um, Right, right. Think about it that way. Um, Literature does differentiate attention from mindfulness, at least in the measures that are used. So people who respond to attention Attention measure respond differently to mindfulness inventory or questionnaire. So there has there is some kind of uh, difference there. However, think about attention. Uh, can attention be a state? Can you just be in constant state of attention? Oh, that's training, right? And it's very difficult to maintain. However, mindfulness is believed to be a state of consciousness. Hmm. You're just there. You're just employing maybe more attention or maybe less um diversifying attention, less judgmental. So you're allowing all of the information to come in. Mm. You're not committing to judging information immediately. So you're giving yourself that window. That's one of the possible mechanisms of mindfulness. But mindfulness is believed to be more of a state of consciousness versus attention is just one of the function. Mm. Um, well, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, can you say like, can you like go over some like activities that are mindful activities? Like in particular yoga, which seems like it's very different from just meditation. Why are both considered uh, yoga and meditation mindful practices? Um, I, I, I also, if you want to plug your yoga studio, you're welcome to, if you want to remain anonymous, you can as well, but it's oh, totally up no, to you. Just shout out to all of the wonderful teachers and students of Agni Yoga Studio in Cleveland. In Cleveland yes. Um, so activities for mindfulness. The main idea is no matter what you do, as long as you're centered around that activity and allow your attention to expand out, mm-hmm. you will achieve mindfulness. So, for example, yoga, you're centering on your body. This is what, what is unique about yoga and maybe it's even therapeutic effects is because you're centering on your body and maybe um, kind of turning on that motor imagery as an embodied con- a cognition while working with your body, you're also kind of attending to mindfulness and expanding your um, kind of level of 
present awareness. Yeah, so you're new to yoga and you're in there and you're like, am I doing this right? Am I? And you're and you kind of want to just when those thoughts right. happen, just kind of observe them yeah. and, 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 and you just start your feeling your hamstrings or you know yeah. just pay attention right. to the way your shoulders are and really pay attention. How many times? It, Throughout your day, do you, do you really pay attention to how your feet are centered on the ground? Yeah, yeah. And in yoga, you constantly remind it to like feel all four corners of your feet. Before I started doing yoga, I didn't know we have four corners of our feet. I know. Um, there are many things I did not know about the body. Right. I remember meditating one time, and I was like, I was just like paying attention to the air on my skin, yeah. on my, and, and I was like, oh, I'm in air. Right, right now, I am in a fluid substance. Right. Like you kind of perceive this as being like nothing. Right. This is space between you and I, but right. there is no space. There's fluid right. that we're right. able to it, see through and talk uh, through. To your point, many people think meditation is about chanting or just sitting quiet. Mm -hmm. And it's not. Mindfulness could come from, um, I don't know, open gaze meditation. Buddhist monk. Open what? Open gaze. Your open oh, okay. eyes. A Buddhist monk gazed at a little, um, Incense? We we almost lost yeah. all the Trump supporters. Open oh, open gaze. <laughs> what? Well, they might benefit from it, by the way, but uh, yeah. just expands awareness a little, non-judgmental. <laughs> so open your gaze, like yes. A, a I mean, gaze you don't something. have to sit with your closed eyes and om or chant for mm. meditation. You can walk and just pay attention. It's all about state of mind while you're doing an activity. Um, that's fantastic. Well, I'm very, I mean, I tell as many people as I can about meditation and I've told, I'm no expert, but I have told people that I've, I've felt a number of benefits from the little bit, not near enough of yoga that I, that I have done. Um, certainly. Um, but it is four o'clock. We should get you out of here. Um, thank you guys so much for, uh, thank you. joining the program. And, um, so, Andy, Andy Slifkin, everybody, I'll try to, uh, maybe they'll do this again sometime. That's a sure. great conversation, and this is so last minute. Next time I'll dig in a little more, and, and uh, we'll have more to talk about. Um, but this is fantastic. Thank you all for listening. Um, I'm sorry if you had a hard time with this election like I did as well. Um, or we're going to get through it and work harder and come together, and I'll talk to you next week. It's great to be back, guys. I'm sorry again about taking two weeks off. Uh, I'm going to do, I'm going to work harder to make sure that doesn't happen anymore. I have five in the bank right now. I don't foresee it being a problem. I have other guests that I'm working on lining up. Um, I'm, I really, the, the, this has been a disheartening week, um, for me and for a lot of people. And, um, perhaps I'm, perhaps I'm overreacting. Perhaps a lot of people are overreacting. Humans tend to do that sort of thing, but it was, it was discouraging. And from that, what was good about it was that I do feel more driven now. I feel like, uh, I, this is a necessity that I need to push harder that, and that there are people out there that, uh, you know, after election, you think, oh, is the whole world crazy? And um, a little bit, yeah, we all are. 
but that was also a, a small portion of the population ultimately um, that voted for that disaster. And even a smaller portion of those people that voted for it based on the most horrific things, which are outgroup behavior, scare tactic nonsense. A lot of people were just worried about their pocketbook, have this um, idea that maybe, maybe somehow um, this uh, a little bit of a change will be good for the economy. I don't see how a person can make that kind of prediction. Um, or I certainly think it's, I think it's difficult to make that kind of prediction under anybody. But I'm also um, uh, almost done reading a book called Fooled by Ram- Randomness, which is all about the um, all about probabilities and our uh, how difficult it is for us to understand probabilities and to make accurate p- predictions and hindsight bias and survivorship bias, like thinking someone's perhaps a good businessman because a couple of their businesses happened to do well um, and they don't factor like luck and chance into it. I'm not talking about anyone in particular, of course, but the, um, the charity of the week is the Brain and Behavior Research Foundation. Now, as someone who does this, you guys listen to this podcast. If you listen to this podcast, I think you would understand the importance of this. And if you're like me, you probably um, see that most people don't understand the importance of learning about the brain. A lot of people just don't have the chance to have their perception shaken up enough to understand how much this matters there's this isn't anyone's platform this no politician is like hey we should we should learn more about why humans behave the way that we do and put more into this and that will create a better world this isn't anyone's platform and i think that's a shame it doesn't get brought up on the news uh which is pure garbage if you ask me and um i'm sorry to be so overly opinionated right now and this is just you know my frustrations are getting the best of me. Um, but, and, and, and this may be paranoid, but I think that in, in, uh, with what's coming up, uh, I don't think it's that far fetched to believe that, uh, brain research is going to be even less of a priority than it already is. Um, I, I just don't see, I think the priority in spending is going to be in getting rid of different people and in um, more military action, which, uh, I mean, every party's done a horrible job of this bloated military budget, if you ask me. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated. Um, But, I think that we can make a difference. Lately, I've been talking about next week on the program, um, I have the founder of the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies on the show. And uh, we, t- we talk a lot about how we can kind of 
think of new creative and interesting ways of treating people, treating the brain, getting people to open up. And in this tour, something unexpected has happened. I've been a reluctant spokesman for psychedelics. Um, Psychedelics are, for me, a pathway into talking about bigger ideas. They are not um, my whole life. I believe that psychedelics are an aid, not some ultimate truth. Um, I think they are an aid to make us question things and to make us meditate, but or, or help us meditate and are a therapeutic aid. But in this tour, I have met so many people. I have already connected with so many different organizations. And as I've put myself out there more, I've received, I, I put investment in, I put time in. Um, I took a lot of chances and it's paying off. There's people coming into my life that are helping me out. I'm making new friends. I'm learning so much. And I, I believe that that's all that it's going to take is just, uh, I, I don't think that this stuff is as difficult and overwhelming as it can seem. I think a little bit can go a long ways. Um, I think we need to get a little more involved and, So I would normally tell you to go and donate or whatever and and see what you can do. I'm still saying that. I'm starting to think that maybe we need to start uh, reaching out a little more and becoming a little more involved. Maybe, um, Maybe I need to, maybe we need to be doing more hands-on charity work and getting actually physically involved in meeting people and creating a bigger social network. Um, I, I don't, I don't see any other way to get the, the power and the control that we'll, we'll need to create a better world right now. Perhaps we'll all think of better solutions later, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in my head about going on on tangents. I don't like doing it. I don't like giving long-winded things, even though I I do them all the time. I don't like hearing long-winded things from other people. So why should I assume other people are going to want to hear them from me? But this has been, uh, I think, a difficult week for, for a lot of us. And I just want you guys to know that it is only going to make me work harder and try harder and at least for now. Hopefully my my dumb brain doesn't learn helplessness and give up on anything like it like it did for uh a solid twenty four hours uh last week. But go to BBRfoundation.org and learn more about brain and behavior research. It's what this show is all about the more that there is the more brain and behavior research there is the more this show i get to do and the more we get to learn together the more you guys get to send me questions and bounce ideas off of me that i can then bounce off of off of people that uh specialize in this stuff this is this is a amazing opportunity that that has come with 
progress that has come with technology. And I think that, um, I think that we can use it. Um, I think that we can use it better than, than people that aren't interested in this stuff. I think that, uh, uh, somehow like Donald Trump figured out how to utilize Twitter, you know, 10 years behind everybody else. Um, I, I think that there's ways to utilize different mediums before um, the dummies figure it out and we can create change because we're going to need to create change. And then we need to care about the dummies too. You know, I mean, there's a lot of people that don't aren't given the opportunity to learn some of this stuff. And when I say dummies, I don't mean the people that don't have access to education. I mean, the people that have all the access in the world and still don't seem to understand how to use it in a useful way. Uh, like the belligerent moron that is going to be our president. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what else to say. I'm really looking forward to continuing to do this project and continuing to meet more people and continuing to do this show and connect and make an impact on people and have them make an impact on me. And I'm just so grateful that I have any listeners to this show uh, at all. And, and I have so many and it's building all of the time. And that does give me hope in a time when it can be a little hard to muster. Um, because this isn't, I've been fighting against making this like about myself. Like, how is this affecting me? Um, this is affecting lots of people. I've had scientists, uh, writing me ever since saying that they're, they've stopped. They've already stopped new funding on all sorts of projects, (laughs) because they're so worried about having an anti-science buffoon in office. And I think we're all just going to need to step it up and, and uh, figure this out for ourselves and for other people and kicking and screaming, damn it. We're going to teach some people how life works. We're going to get it figured out and we're going to change some people's minds So thank you so much for tuning in and I'll talk to you next week. I'm Dave Ross. Hey, and I'm Hampton Young. And we host Suicide Buddies on Starburns Audio. That's right. It's a podcast about suicide, but not to make light of it. We actually talk about suicidal thoughts, depression, kind of with a sense of levity that Dave and I have with each other. He's my best friend. Come on. Yeah, we're buddies. (laughs) Suicide Buddies. (laughs) That's the title. One of our favorite episodes that we've recorded so far is about this guy, Jan Pataki, who was a Polish aristocrat in the 19th century, Mm -hmm. and he, uh, one of the reasons... It's possible that he killed himself <laughs> is that he thought he was a werewolf. Oh. Check out a clip. It also
makes me think like we were talking about in the Norway uh, black metal episode how like just the culture of your surroundings can affect you. Like yeah. he's in a castle in Poland. <laughs> He's like, I mean, if you yeah. lived in a castle in Poland and no one knew anything about anything, you might be like, I'm a bat. I'm probably a bat. <laughs> <laughs> That's like literally what happened to Batman. He literally is in his mansion. He's like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm, I'm a, a bat. bat. I'm a bat. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a bat. bat. I'm, a, I'm, I'm a, bat. a bat that helps people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bat that helps people. I'm a, I'm a I don't know what you want from me. And my, uh, and my, my girlfriend, she's a cat. She's a cat. My she, girlfriend's she, a cat. She steals things. She's a woman who steals things. She's a cat. I'm a bat. I'm a I bat. People. She's a cat. We fight a penguin. My, uh, my. 